this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm Liz Brailsford. I'm the president and CEO of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I love seeing a lot of familiar faces. I love seeing a lot of new faces. So this is, this is fun. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we have some faces that we haven't seen since before the pandemic. So it's great to have you also. Thank you. So I would like to thank our friends at Maxure. Sean, thank you very much. And Matt, Matt Atza, I just got to meet you finally in person also. Thank you very much uh, for partnering with us tonight on uh, the Global Forum program. So thank you. Maxure is a local company based right around the corner in Addison, and we are fortunate to have them operate in our community. So thank you. Also, thanks to NEC Corporation of America, and it's one of our council's institutional partners. And then I'd also like to thank Lockheed. Lockheed, just in the last couple of days, came back to us after a couple of years hiatus. We're thrilled to have them back. So they're our, our council's newest institutional member, and we're, we're happy to have them. I would also like to thank Lucy Billingsley and the Billingsley Company. They are our fabulous uh, Global Forum sponsor. They've been big supportive supporters of ours through the years, and I couldn't be more thrilled to work with Lucy and her team. Mike Eccles is the CEO of Max Cybersecurity, having spent 17 years in critical infrastructure protection at the Department of Homeland Security. He served as the point person for President Obama's executive order promoting private se sector cybersecurity information sharing chair of the communications sector in network security information exchange, and as the designated federal official for the National Security uh, Telecommunications Advisory Committee, which is comprised of 30 CEO level members from defense, IT, and the comms sector companies making recommendations to the president. Mike has also served in the various roles to develop practices and standards for transportation, security, trade, and 5G deployment. Okay, there we go. Sean Wyora is the co-founder and CEO of MacSure, who we are partnering with on this event tonight. And he, uh, MacSure again, is a leading cyber risk quantification and blockchain company in DFW, which works with decision makers and leaders across industries to measure cyber risk and inform decision making. A cyber industry expert, Sean has appeared in the Wall Street Journal and CNN Money and is a frequent keynote and conference speaker. Good to know. Additionally, he took the first healthcare company in the U.S. to the cloud, and that company was, uh, received the de designation of the most cyber-resilient healthcare company in the United States. That's impressive. I think we have two very impressive speakers before us, and it's going to be a great conversation. And with that, I'll welcome you two to the stage. Thank you very much again. Mike. Sir. Good to see you. Thanks for coming in from D.C. That was really nice. All you have to do is ask, sir. <laughs> Mike and I have known each other for years. We, uh, we saw uh, Shrik Segura, my co-founder, and I saw Mike uh, give a presentation. There he is. And we were like, oh my goodness. We've, we've been to how many conferences in our life, Shrik? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then we saw Mike talk, so it was great. And Liz, thank you very much. I'd like to uh, suggest to everybody that if you're not a member of this amazing organization, uh, you know, why not? 
And there are so many wonderful information sessions, collaborations, sharing. So we're honored to partner with you. And, uh, and speaking of North Texas Giving Day, one of our clients, believe it or not, it's not a sales pitch, but one of our clients, I'm, selling, I'm, I'm doing a sales pitch for one of our clients. Is that OK? OK. <laughs> but we have the uh, Grant Halliburton Foundation leadership here. And uh, y'all want to raise your hands? And uh, if anyone wants to know more about that amazing, amazing organization, please uh, make a point to, to stop by. Um, and then um, one of the things that I was noticing, Liz, about your background, can we talk? One of the things I was noticing is that uh, you spent some time at USAID. Amazing. And I thought that the, the vision of that organization was a great segue into what we're talking about here, which is U.S. national security, economic prosperity, and promoting a path to, uh, for, res for recipients of that organization to be self-reliant and resilient. Is that close? Wow. So thank you for your work there. And Mike, handing it off to you, that's kind of interesting to think about being self-reliant and resilient, and we're here to talk about global cyber issues? Uh, can't wait to get into it. I, take I'm a, take I, it. Well, we, we have the slides. We, we do have some slides. Mr. Uh, and I'm actually going to stand up. And um, First of all, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a cyber evangelist. What does that mean? Right? Somebody said, that sounds very religious. Well, it is, because you literally have to convince people to do the right things to protect themselves when it comes to digital security. We just assume that these things are being done for us, and they're not. And so what I always hope to inspire is that whether you have a business or for your personal life, that you are practicing personal digital resilience. All right? So next slide. Next slide. So. We are in this ever-digitizing world, right? As you all know, based on your ability to pick up a phone and call somebody from your company or from another company in another country, and you get mad when you don't connect in three or four seconds or a tenth of a second. You're like, why is this taking so long to connect? And so we have these expert expectations of communications, right? And this world, uh, is presented us with these technologies that uh, are driving business risk. For all these great conveniences that we have, which come about from the pace of innovation, right? Technology complexity. What do we mean by technology complexity? Well, we used to understand how things work. And now we just say, oh, it's in the cloud. Send the cloud, right? And then the data sharing and interchange. Well, most of the ways that we make money and we do business and we create these conveniences and we move information and data at the speed of light is we partner. We partner with other companies. There's partnerships between companies and government. And we align ourselves in ways that allow us to do business faster and more profitable. And then, as all this is occurring, 
there's this other thing happening. We talked about the cloud. Think about that as the white cloud. Well, there's this dark cloud. As a matter of fact, they call this thing the dark web, and it breeds these people who are working against all that good convenience. And, and just to give you an example of the way that I, business should review technology growth and planning for it. When convenience goes up, security goes down. When security goes up, convenience goes down. The optimum place that we want to be is we can get convenience and security working together. And I'm here to tell you that we don't have that. Um, see if you guys are awake. I used to work for the government, and now I don't. So now I can tell you the truth. All right. As we think about this technology expansion, right, um, it brings about risk. And typically, when I'm giving a speech, I explain to people that this word cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is nothing more than risk management, right? And it's nothing more than risk management because we're looking at the vulnerabilities, the threats, and the consequences should something occur. That's the formula for risk, right? When people that you need to work with you hear the words cybersecurity, they do one of two or three things. They, it's flight or fright. But there's another addition here when it comes to cybersecurity. There's freeze. People freeze. And we don't win when people freeze. Next slide. So here's our conundrum right now. Cyber attacks and security breaches are increasing. You hear about it every day on the news. You hear about big major corporations getting breached, but they don't tell you about the person who had a business email compromise and they just lost $500,000 that they saved as a down payment for their house and it was their life savings. You don't hear about schools that get hacked and after they're hacked, someone has the personal identification, including social security numbers for all the kids in that school, and they're creating identities for those kids. And you don't find out till years later when those kids go to pull their credit and they have bad credit. They don't tell you any of those things. Um, targeting of information and organizations has become synonymous. Um, hackers have learned how to evade controls. And, a way, and when we say controls, we're talking about security controls. That's not necessarily just hardware, software. That's also the way that you train people to act, right? And so um, as these things are occurring, um, get my thought here. So as these things are occurring, um, those organizations that have not put those controls in place put those other organizations that they've partnered with in harm's way. So if you've done everything you're supposed to do to support risk management, and the organizations that you've built these relationships with and connected with to make more money and to do things faster, 
then you essentially uh, harbor the same risk. And then current perimeter intrusion detection, sometimes it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because many of times it's signature-based. Whereas we might need acquisition authority or get congressional approval, hackers work overnight and they change one little thing. And that signature that they had um, that we now have a protection for, all of a sudden they've changed one little thing and now their hack works again. And then lastly, criminals are leveraging the innovations that we have, encryption, right? So in a way, encryption works against us, it works against law enforcement. Hackers are actually using those technologies against us, right? And so every time there's a new development, cloud security, you know, a cloud platforms, 5G, what is 5G? 5G is the newest platform that's gonna allow us to do even more stuff, right? You'll be able to do this incredible computing, um, not being near a computer, right? Using this band of technology that allows you to share extreme amounts of data, right? Again, it's gonna allow us to make more money and it's gonna allow us to do things faster, but at the same time, it's going to create more risk. Now, as I tell you all this, I want you to understand that the government is not coming to save you. And what I mean by that is, the government's doing what they're supposed to do. They're creating training, they're creating tools, they're creating everything for you to be successful in defending yourself. But most organizations have not adopted those things. And as I said before, we have a situation where we, as Americans, nobody tells us what hardware or software to use. So I say that cybersecurity is risk management because we all get to make choices. Mike, come on, the, the Secret Service isn't gonna come? FBI, I, I, I see them on Absolutely TV. Absolutely not. No? Oh. Nope, they may show up for one of the major corporations Yeah. in some cases. Right, okay. But in other cases, yeah. No, um, you're responsible for your own cyber defense, okay? And I will leave you with that, and we'll have further conversations. Wow, wow. AI, ML, the bad guys have it all. They're getting stronger all the time. Uh, let, let's talk about some of this. Uh, AI, ML for hackers, wow. All right, so when, uh, technology started happening, we're gonna go through a little bit of history, when technology started developing into co in companies and we're all using Google or whatever, uh, uh, the, every company just started getting uh, some more insurance, cyber insurance to cover some of what you're talking about. And that was good for a while, but we're gonna talk, and, and Stan's in the audience, Stan, you know, you know about, you had a really good analogy. I think you were saying that, well, there's a house analogy and you were saying that the door might be open, so, if you're, if you're a company and you're buying insurance and you leave a door open, Stan, I think that was your analogy, right? Like, like the bad guy could walk in. So imagine a house with you know, thousands of doors and, and millions of windows. All, all the bad guy just has to come in. So, so I think insurance has been really a good kind of vehicle up until lately. What do you think of that? You're 
up until lately. Do you think it's changed a little bit? Oh, clever coverage and claims. Okay, so we just heard that uh, the the price, of, you know, claims and and cover, you know, its cost is going up, premiums going up, coverage going down. No, it's a good deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> good, good deal. No, seriously, uh, insurance companies are trying to get market share, and so they're selling a lot of insurance at discounted prices, and then started to roll in, and all of a sudden insurance companies realized market share doesn't do us any good if we've got the biggest share of claims. Ah, so the more business we buy, the more business we lose because maybe the risk isn't being written right, and so let's, let's make that simple. Maybe the algorithm, maybe the, the mathematical equation is, is Dr. Ben Susan here, could you please raise your hand, one of the world's most famous mathematicians writing uh, in the insurance industry with honorary citizenship, right, in Hong Kong? Yeah, maybe. And this guy is just a, 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 a you know, mathematical genius. Thank you for your, your, your help and, and what you're doing because the algorithms need to improve. And so we're going to talk about that. But first, if we could go to the next slide and just take a look at some data behind the facts and figures because I think all of us are going to want to know if all of a sudden State Farm or you know, Geico or whatever, tripled your car or tripled your house overnight, what would you do? What would you do? Sir, would you find another company? What if they all did it? Okay, I'm going to suggest that that's happening in cyber insurance and it's no bueno, okay? It's really kind of a big challenge and if you're in a company, if you're operating a company, you might be relying, Syed, you, you and I have talked about this, right? Yeah. What's happening over where you're at with your clients? They don't have the proper protections in the company, they're not gonna get insurance. Right, ah, that kind of ties in with what Mike, where Mike was going. If they don't have the proper protections, if every door isn't closed, but wait, what if you have kids? Are you sure the kids are gonna close all the windows? Come on! <laughs> we all know that if we're running businesses, we have employees, and I'm not saying they all behave like kids. Some of them do. Some do. Come on. You, you know what I'm talking about. They, you've, got, you've got some kids. They leave the door open. Maybe they share their password. Is that the same thing, Mike? Mm -hmm. Leaving the door open, sharing the password. Uh, is, is there another slide before this one? So we've got, I'm sorry, before this one. Yeah. So look at this. I'm, I'm going to do what Mike did. May not be as tall, but gosh, cyber insurance costs up 50%. I'm not kidding. All of our, all, all the people, we're, we're, we're going around the world. Shrek, what continent haven't we been to yet? And we haven't been to Antarctica yet. But you go anywhere around the world. We're, seriously, we operate, we're not a huge company, but we operate all around the world. Everybody is saying that their insurance in cyber is going up 50%, uh, uh, insurance premiums, and guess where they're going? This is not the Bitcoin chart. And, and, and if you were buying insurance, you were hoping it's the Bitcoin chart because it's gonna crash. It's gonna go back down to 20. Guess what? It's going the other way. So we've got higher premiums, lots of exclusions. Mike, you were talking to me last night about one of the exclusions. What was that one? Sure. Um, so if 
let me give you a fact first. If we used all the best practices available, we would kill 80% of all breaches. However, no one can get to the 20% solution because of about 15,000 issues. The insurance companies have said, we're not going to pay those claims if you don't stay in compliance with good cybersecurity practices. So there's a clash occurring, right? It's a big clash, and the challenge is huge. So the cost is going up, exclusions, exclusions everywhere. Like, you, ha you, have, to be, you have to be, what, what is it you do, Jordan? What, law. Yeah, your law. You have to be like a lawyer, like Jordan is, right? <laughs> to really understand your cyber insurance policy. Have you ever like bought a mattress and compared two mattresses against each other? Can you do that? Like there's so, like the details. There's, there's so many details. And Sean, did you read about um, Lloyd's of London? They are saying that come March 2023, that if you are attacked by a nation state or a nation state actor, then they are not going to pay your claim. Okay, so, so riddle me this. How do you know if it was a nation state? Oh wait, maybe the insurance company says it's a nation state and maybe you say it's not, but who's right? Jordan, who's right? Whoever, <laughs> whoever, you, whoever Jordan represents is right. <laughs> What's the name of your firm, Jordan? Greenberg, Greenberg okay. Maybe, maybe they've got a pretty good track record. In fact, I, I'm going to say that they've got one of the best track records for winning those kinds of cases in the world, no doubt. Look it up, don't take my word for it. All right, so the next, next slide, please. Thank you, Matt. Anybody want a taste of CyberPie? So what's CyberPie? Let's talk about this just for two seconds. So one of the things that what's happening in the industry with what Mike said, the, the attackers are getting way more sophisticated. It's getting harder to keep all the doors. You have employees, but they act like kids, so they leave the window open, and the bad guys get in. Do they have to get in all the windows or just one? Just one. Just get in one. So you've got a lot of risk, and, and with companies going digital, going mobile, going social, like who hasn't done that? There's the amount of exposure. So one of the things that people are asking us to do is help them with a pie, cyber pie. How big is, how much risk is there? How big's your pie? And what do you do with the slices of the pie? Do you get insurance? Yeah, you're gonna get some insurance if you're a company. Do you remediate, which means you throw money at technology and training programs? Or do you accept some of it as well? So yeah, maybe you do all three. And how much of that? Is it equal? Is it balanced? These are really challenging questions, don't you think, Stan? Yes, keeping you awake? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but wait, didn't we say insurance was getting more expensive? Really more expensive? And I'm gonna suggest next year it's gonna be even more expensive, maybe? So let's go to the next slide. Oh, it got so expensive, I had to call who? I had to call who? who? Who remembers who I had to call? Jordan Cowman. I had to call a lawyer because guess what? I can't afford this much insurance anymore, so now I'm gonna do something which is called legal risk transference. 
which means that I'm going to get a lawyer to look at every contract I've ever had with every third-party provider and get them to take If you want to do business with me, guess what? You're going to take, if, if your stuff, if your software that you're, if that Word document that you sent to me has a virus in it and you're doing business with me and you corrupted all my systems because that little document that you, or whatever, so these lawyers are really good. I think, I think Greenberg Traurig is one of the best in the, in the world. And they have the ability, and other companies have the ability to do that. This accepted risk, this is called an unfunded liability. Any CFOs here, finance people? Diane, I think you're kind of a acting CFO-ish kind of a little bit, right? You, you know about unfunded liabilities on the balance sheet? If you're, um, what's that? Yeah, retirement accounts. So how big is the pie? Uh, before I wrap up, I'm just going to say that this is a global problem. We're here at the Global Forum, right? Uh, so when we're in Eastern Europe, when uh, we're in the Middle East, I, I was in Kuwait up until Saturday night of last week, maybe Sunday morning. I'm going there again Friday? Yeah, Friday. Kuwait, Dubai, Abu Dhabi. Uh, then off to Stockholm and getting a lot of miles. American loves me. The, uh, the, the problem that we're talking about is global, and the agents that are acting are global. This is such a global issue. There's no way to look at it. Uh, one of the things, Jordan, if you don't mind, if I share with the team, is that you're somehow connected. You've been connected. You have a leadership position with the UN. And I always thought that the UN or that kind of organization. So one of the questions that we asked is, is there an organization? Mike, you mentioned that there's no one really that's going to And And as we look around the world, we look at the UN, we look at these other organizations. And Liz, we invite a collaboration starting here, starting now with the DFW chapter on, is there an organization that, that can help foster some uh, activity that would help resolve some of this glo the global issue here. And so I invite, the, after, the, after the presentation today, I invite some more collaboration in the coming days and coming weeks, because I think it's this organization where these items can be discussed and then solutions can come forward on a global basis. Is that agreeable to you? We'll chat. OK, we'll chat. All right. So with that, I'm, I'm going to say that you know Mike and I had decided that we would each take about 10 minutes, and then we're going to spend about each 10 minutes each, and then we're going to spend about another 10 minutes just talking, because uh, sometimes Mike and I talk, and we end up talking for hours or talking about this and that. And, and so we thought we'd, we'd just kind of share with each other some, some thoughts. So Mike, what are, you, what are your perspectives on some of this that we just talked about? So, so there's some fundamental issues, right? So if we were looking at any other problem in this country from um, reading, right, to access to broadband. And we look at these issues, we, we come together and we view them in a holistic way. What happens with cybersecurity and the protection of digital systems is we have an issue coming to a baseline understanding. Let me give you an example. If you were to go to any high school senior honors class and you ask them, what is the formula for force? Most of those kids can tell you mass times acceleration. However, if you were to get 50 cybersecurity 
experts in a room and you ask them what is cybersecurity, you might get 25 different answers. And so that lack of common understanding becomes one of those issues that drives up risk for everybody, right? And then additionally, as I, I stated in my little soliloquy before, you may be doing all the right things, but then your vendors, the people who are coming into your organization to work on your HVAC system that plug in, um, your employees that click on a email link that you've given them courses and classes not to click on that link. Uh, they do it anyway. All of these things continuously drive up risk, right? And so you've got to have risk management solutions in place. You've got to be able to, to, to identify, detect a problem, and then if you do have an issue, be able to respond and recover. Uh, and Sean was speaking to the fact that there's an aspect of this where you have to be able to transfer risk. And when I was at the Department of Homeland Security, one of the strategies that we really believed was gonna change this market was that insurance companies were gonna cause that change because just like they do with automobiles or with buildings, if you, you own a building or a house, you know that, you know, um, you know how to act in reducing risk. You know that they will come in and say, we're not gonna pay this. Everybody knows that, so you act a certain way. Well, that was the expectation with cybersecurity, is that insurance companies were going to change our behavior. That has not occurred. And so we're, where, we are, where we were a few years ago, we're at that same place. The risk is just as high. I think that risk is high and it's growing. And then who, who here, by a show of hand, who here is just concerned about their own email and getting hacked and things like that, their, their password at the bank? I know I am. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a lot of people. And so it's, it's actually um, getting easier and easier. Mike had mentioned that uh, the, the bad actors, they're using things like AI and ML, and they're getting really good at it. And every time they hack and they get big money from a company, they take that money and then they invest it into more AI, more AL, so they're getting better and better. So it's, a, it's like a, a, a little bit of a horse race here. And guess what, Sean? A lot of those organizations use good cybersecurity. They do. They purchase cybersecurity services from the same places that we do. It's the most amazing thing. So, so what's, the, what's, what's, the, what's the answer? What's the solution? We don't have one. We have ideas. We're exploring those ideas. We're in collaborations. Liz, thank you for allowing us to come up here and bring these ideas forward because there is no silver bullet here. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm on stage here with Mike, and I've been on stage with uh, the Secret Services, a guy named Justin Miller. He and I have been on stage uh, several times. Strick, you've seen that. You know, he's, he's said many times, you know, try to be as, as best you can uh, and make sure that the kids close the windows before they go home at night, right? And, and all of that stuff, but there are going to be mistakes. So it gets, if you're a company, it gets to be a little uh, concerning that there isn't. Mike mentioned something about risk management. We're obviously a proponent of that, but really what it is is if you're a consumer and you're looking at your passwords, and I know that there's some folks here that I spoke with before the presentation that that is their concern, um, I would suggest change your passwords, 
write it down, keep a log, you know, all those things, because those are really helpful things to do. And if you're on um, maybe an old platform, consider upgrading to a new platform, all those things. But really from an enterprise perspective, there are a, a couple things I wanted to just share. I think, Mike, um, we had talked about the combination on the insurance side. And is anyone here familiar with DNO insurance, director and officer insurance? Okay, there's a few folks there. So DNO insurance, for what it's worth, is being combined with uh, regular cyber insurance so that the behavior of the officers, okay, let's look at DNO insurance. DNO insurance is an insurance where if you're a director or an officer of a company, you get protection that if you did something wrong or you made a wrong decision or you didn't make a decision you should have made, you, and someone sues you, shareholders, third parties, customers, there's no end of parties that would like to sue a director, uh, that you get covered. Now, that kind of helps with those types of things. But if the insurance company wants the behavior of the director or of the officer to align with the decisions to make sure that their company is acting and investing correctly, then that's where the DNO kind of comes. So we're kind of seeing, in terms of the future of cyber risk and cyber insurance, we're kind of seeing what Mike suggested is key. It's behavior at all levels. I like to think, Mike, that it's about a top-down thing and then everybody in the company, you talk about it, you've got a podcast, you've got all kinds of communication going out, you've been highly cited in the media. What do you kind of think about when you think about uh, the, the future of well, what, well, could, what could help? The statistic that I gave before, if we use all the best practices. Now, in some cases, that's not possible, right? And if you're in business, you're in business to make money, right? and you don't know what you don't know. However, going back to what Sean was talking about with the DNO insurance, if you're a leader in a corporation, and especially if it's a public corporation, you're required to understand the risk to that organization. And in the past, leaders have put their head in the sand because they didn't really understand cybersecurity. It's the freeze thing that I was talking about. And so now we're seeing more that people are trying to understand those best practices because there are tools to, again, reduce risk. There, there is a gentleman who did freeze. He was the, C, the head of cyber for a company called Uber. Has anyone taken an Uber here? So you can Google this tonight, have fun with it. The head of cyber for Uber decided to freeze. He got some bad information, allegedly, according to the articles, blah, blah, blah and didn't bring it forward, froze. Love that, love that you're bringing that forward because sometimes, and, and all of a sudden, uh, he's, not only is the company being sued, but he's being sued personally. They pierce, I don't know, what is, it's called piercing the corporate veil. Well, how, is, how do you describe that, George? Keep piercing the corporate come on, I don't know. It's a law, law thing. <laughs> Something like that. So now he's being sued personally. There's shareholders that are suing him personally, coworkers, uh, uh, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I feel bad for the guy because, you know, he's an IT guy, he got some bad information, he froze, and now it's, oh my God, you know, he's in some dookie. And so he, he settled with uh, the insurance company on a certain amount of uh, coverage, they're gonna defend him for a little while, and then the insurance company said, no, you're, you're on your own now, so who knows what's gonna happen. Uh, it's a very challenging subject. It's because of 
organizations like the World Affairs Council that we can have these kind of descriptions and, and conversations. And Mike and I are gonna be available around afterward. We're gonna do some Q&A now for a little while, so we're wide open to any question, you know, regardless of, of where it's coming from. But it's because of the, so if I, if I can just say before we get into Q&A, if you are thinking about a membership uh, here, I highly encourage it. It's not just this issue, but we need help. Mike and I are always open to ideas about ways to hope, uh, help uh, you know, ourselves, and you know, we, we collaborate, we help our clients, things like that. And so it's, it's thankful, we are thankful for organizations like this to be able to have this conversation and hopefully get some ideas from the audience here. Okay, with that, we'll start some Q&A. Okay, we've got Mr. Fox. What is the number one thing? What is the number one thing that you see as the future answer to? I mean, is there? I mean, could it be, like, for instance, in passwords, like Retina technology or fingerprint, or do you see something that's going to make a major difference on the near-term horizon on? Your business. So you're talking about technology, Tech, or technology, but the, to keep people out from, you know, essentially so, to keep people out from sure. hacking in. So let me, you know, again, I don't work for the government now, so we can have a real conversation, right? Uh, the reality here is, think about the abortion issue. Think about the school issue. Think about the book issue. We don't agree on anything, right? So now. Think about how we can actually fix this situation. They've actually talked about an internet too, which would be more secure. The issue is that no two parties can come together to agree on doing it. Somebody somewhere, some big company, Google, Facebook, you go down the list, somebody loses something, right? And because of that, nothing happens. And so that's why we like getting out here and talking to companies and talking to people and individuals because it's incumbent on you to protect your own environment and protect your own welfare and the welfare of your family. When we talk about the government protecting critical infrastructure, your critical infrastructure is your family and your community, right? And so you have to do that. In terms of technologies, um, there are technologies in place where you don't necessarily have to use passwords. There are technologies in place that allow you to do encryption. There are technologies in place that allow you to uh, put security on your website. They did a study of Fortune 500 companies, right? You know, when you see that HTTPS, the security piece, when you go to a website and it tells you that that site is secure, of Fortune 500 companies, we know they have the money, right? There were like 200 of them that did not have security on their so, websites. So I guess, Mike, even if, they, even if there was a silver bullet, we know HTTPS does work, uh, some, some folks aren't, aren't implementing it. Now, that's changing. I will say my, my kind of take on this is that no, there's not, because, and even if there was, the bad guys are right behind. Uh, so it's, it's cat and mouse all, all along. So what we, you know, what we would suggest is that, um, uh, and, and I'm happy to talk, uh, you know, afterward about, you know, Gmail and personal stuff a little bit more. We don't do that, but I just have some just places to direct. 
is that uh, there really is no technology, so be safe with your passwords, be safe you know, uh, all around with your bank accounts and everything. So what we typically recommend is defense in depth. What does that mean? That you're not depending on one solution, right? So for instance, every time I do a transaction on my bank account, right? Legitimate transactions that I do, I get an email that says, you just spent $12 at such such place. Those types of things don't cost you anything, right? The technology that your bank has allows you to get those kind of notifications. And so when you start living a digital secure life, you start putting those little things in place. And as you put those little things in place, the risk goes down, little by little. It doesn't mean that you won't have an issue. It just means that you have reduced your risk as much as you possibly can. Thank you for this. I think we have, uh, we all know to a certain extent the reality that we live in, but this is definitely eye-opening and probably is going to give us all nightmares tonight. But wanted to get your take on LifeLock, LastPass, these type of password managers. So if you don't want to write down your passwords. So what's your take on that? And then also, we know that state-on-state -state cybersecurity theft uh, they go after. So our government's going to go after the government of China and, and so on and so forth. But what happens when you have non-state actors or a state, but let's say non-state actors who go after an individual, I don't think they're, that our government is going after these, two, these people. So what's to deter them from doing it in perpetuity? Or, or what's being done? Because I don't think we have jurisdiction over there. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll start with the, the, the second question because, well, the first question is the, those passwords, many of those password protector locker things, many of them have been hacked and breached themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's just my two cents on that. Uh, I, you know, I wish everything was perfect and, and it's not, but you know, where, where's Dorothy? I'm thinking Oz right now. But th there really isn't a, a whole lot. They, they might be better than you know, having your email password, you know, on on your website and then particular, but I, I I really don't look the data doesn't really support that they're foolproof. Okay, on the on the state actor thing, um, we're at we're at you know un, undeclared war, declared war, however you want to look at it, and cyber warfare is in play. So this is what we're dealing with. This is why I you know I thought it was so great that Mike said yes to coming, and I thought it was so great uh, Liz that you invited the conversation because this is a global issue and we're being attacked by foreign adversaries and then is the your question was kind of leaning you know is the US going after others and are people you know targeting individuals all of that's happening all of that's happening and and the US has said that they're not taking the offensive approach but Mike you're not in your role anymore so what can you tell us the truth on that sure um, so let's go to this the world of um, Affairs Council, let's look at NATO. So NATO has something called Article 5, which says that if any NATO country is attacked, we all get our boots on and we go and defend that country. Well, what about cyber, right? It, um, there are acts of, essentially acts of war that have become normalized because if, for instance, we attacked a China because they hacked us, no one saw that happen. There, so there, there's a complexity to this, right? 
We, if somebody plants a bomb somewhere, terrorism, after 9-11, we're nine days from the anniversary of 9-11, we all can see something, right? When we have some of these cyber attacks that steal information and debilitate systems, the average person can't see it, right? So politically, it's not an expedient thing to publicly go after that country. But in terms of this idea that someone is attacking us, we're probably attacking them too, right? Someone is stealing our data, we're probably stealing their data too. Uh, Iran, uh, China, Russia are in our power grid, we're probably in their power grids too. And that's why we don't see this mass destruction, right? It's typically to steal information where they get an advantage. But then you have North Korea, Mike. Well, North Korea has been... motivation. Yeah, North Korea's motivation typically is, um, or has been, they've been hitting crypto exchanges. They've been stealing hard or digital cash, right? Um, they really haven't been in the business of attacking uh, organizations or attacking companies from a cyber perspective for the purpose of disruption. Would it be Ex helpful? If except for Sony. So right. Sony made a movie that they didn't like about six or seven years ago. And it gives you a great example of what happens when one of these attacks occurs. Uh, I remember we were working with Sony. They literally had to go around the world. They had to go to Best Buys and those types of organizations and buy new computers. Because at the time that these attacks occurred, they had to shut everything down. Because in a lot of cases, that's the only answer, is you shut everything down. Mr. Segor, with a question. Actually, I'd like to make a point uh, to Mike. I mean, it's not only threatening us, but we're losing trillions of dollars from the United States. So the China, if they say that they're building a new stealth aircraft, doesn't mean they've invented it. They stole a lot of the stuff from the United States. So this risk is not going to uh, go to zero, but it could be minimized. I mean, better policies, procedures, technology. From a passwords point of view, there is actually new technology that be, that's being developed by Google. Uh, it's quantum scramblers that they're mm -hmm. working on it, and uh, that is going to someday, 10, 15 years from now, it's going to be virtually impossible for these nation state actors to really break into it. But right now, we just have to, as Sean mentioned, just have to write it down, destroy it every three or six months, and re recreate it. That, those are very brute force approaches, but that's what we have. So. Okay. Syed? How do you quantify risk? I mean, how, what, how, how do you know that you have done enough? Right? I mean, is there a framework well, to use? Yeah, so. Lots of frameworks. Yeah, there's a lots of frameworks. Uh, there's NIST, there's HIPAA, there's all kinds of frameworks. Are, are you familiar with NIST? You are? Okay, because I brought NIST. So this is NIST. If anyone's ever heard of NIST, here it is, printed out, 800 pages. And uh, what, what uh, some companies, Maxure's one, but other companies, what we've done is we've taken an approach uh, to build an, an algorithm. Thank you, Dr. Ben Susan, for all your help on our algorithm and just helping us early on. Thank you. But um, with UTD, Dr. Ben Susan, uh, 
but you know, we, we've assembled the world's smartest people and the world's smartest mathematicians in trying to build an algorithm. And you know, some, some entities have thought it's really good. S&P, Global, uh, they have a division that's picked us as kind of like, you guys are the best, whatever, so whatever that means. Uh, but you know, we, we think that math wins, and it's the way, you know, it's a better way to quantify the risk. And you know, some, some people take a piece of this, whatever. We kind of think it makes sense to look at it holistically. Like, look at everything. Like, what do you mean everything? Every piece of software and every piece of hardware. What do you mean? Like, at, at the version and patch level, right? So, and then, and then every, we just like, we, we take like way like a lot of stuff. And so I'm happy to, to, to share with you, but a holistic approach at risk quantification is certainly a healthy step in the right direction to underwriting correctly, helping companies understand where their risks are, heat maps about where to start working and, and getting going and, and fixing the, the things that are important. Uh, I don't and know, by Mike, holistic, what, what he means is some companies will buy uh, a service or software that provides a perimeter, but they don't bother to train their employees, hmm. right? It's a multi-pronged approach to understanding your environment, understanding the vulnerabilities in your environment, and then understanding the threats against you. And you don't have to literally, you don't have to respond to every threat. It's just those threats that can exercise vulnerabilities in your environment, all right? Yes, sir. Can you uh, give us a couple of some examples of things that we can do better? We, I'm, I got first grade education in computer science, mm -hmm. and I'm proud of it. So there are a lot of us like me. Can you tell us, for example, when the computer suddenly says, you are infected, you need to call us right away, blah, blah, blah. So well, let me tell you. When you get the second item is when you get uh, an email that says you need to update this and blah, blah, blah. And then we look at the email address. It has nothing to do with the company that they are supposed to be representing. Can you tell us more about basic things that can help us all folks here? Thank you. So, so I wrote a book in 2020, right as the pandemic started, of course. But I wrote a book in 2020 called Secure Cyber Life, The Government's Not Coming to Save You. And I wrote that book because, and this is not a talking point that I use in public, I, I really wrote this book because we were doing all these things at Homeland Security, and I realized that my mom and my aunt and all of their friends, they have that exact same problem, right? Cyber experts get hacked. Personally. Right? They personally accounts. get hacked. Yeah. So you can imagine how difficult this is for the average person, right? PhDs, Mike. Right? PhDs. PhDs I mean, and they get whatever. Hacked. Yeah. So here's the first thing you need to understand. No one's going to give you money, right? So if they are trying to suck you in to click on a link or go to a website because they promise you something or they say something is wrong, but you know that you didn't buy something from Walmart, so you don't need to go see what it is that you're saying has damage to it, right? It's a, a level of common sense, the same common sense that 
you learned in kindergarten, since you say you only went to first grade, um, <laughs> you learned not to cross the street without looking both ways, right? Well, we have to learn, and, and it's not just seniors, it's everyone. We have to learn, for instance, that when you have something like Alexa, uh, you familiar with Alexa, where you can just say, Alexa, play Inkerdink Humperdink, you know? Um, if you can talk to that technology and it hears you, what does that mean? It's listening all the time. And I think on the, on the personal side of things, I think Mike's book might be really good and there's other books out there and all of that. I have to say that I think this is an amazing business opportunity, not me, not Mike, for somebody to like come up with a solution for this kind of personal thing. David, you invest in companies all the time, right? You're like one of the, one of the top private equity angel VC guys around that I know. Oh. But when we talk about the benefits of AI, AI is used against us. I mean, it is AI who often unearths all the secrets of everything. If you get a lot of deal flow, if you get a deal that really looks like it's a solution, will you please tell Liz so we can okay. have you come back in and update everybody? Is that? A deal. Okay. <laughs> yes, sir. And I think this might be, might be, yeah, might be the, save the best for the last, right? You mentioned Alexa. When she's listening, what does she do with what she hears? Oh, that is a great point. There was actually a murder solved through Alexa. Uh, this happened about three, four years ago. Uh, Amazon was not trying to give up the information, right? And the government was requesting that information because they saw that the person had Alexa. This woman died in a swimming pool. And it turns out that they were able, finally able to get that information and they could hear things in the background. There was another case that was solved with the Fitbit, right? And this is where we talk about buying technology risk management. So the Fitbit. Um, they were able to get that information at some point, law enforcement, and they were able to see what the person's pulse rate was at that time, what their location was, and some other information. So um, we come back to this same theme. There's no silver bullet. It's just risk management. And every time you get an opportunity to learn a new approach to, and your approach may be different from Sean's. In mind, and depending on what your values are, there are some people who certain things don't really matter to them, or they have enough protection in place um, where it's not going to hurt them. And that same thing may hurt someone else in a very bad way. So for each of us, we have to understand these technologies that and we're And there's using no insurance, really, for a consumer. I think there's a few companies coming out for cyber insurance for consumers. I don't know too much about it. We're more of a commercial company. But I would, you know, if, if you're interested, I would explore those. Um, there's a lot of research available. There's no silver bullet. This is a global issue. World Affairs Council can be thanked. Liz, thank you. Uh, and your team, amazing team. Can we have a round of applause for Liz and her team? Thank you so much, Liz. 
Well, thank you. I actually have an email right now in my <laughs> inbox from PayPal. It's one of the most realistic that I've ever received. And it said that I am about to be have $500 debited from my account. So uh, I did not click on anything, but I did go to PayPal in a fresh browser and logged into my account. And surprise, surprise, everything seems to be OK. So anyway, thank you for that enlightening and scary conversation. Uh, this was great. I appreciate both of you.